It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with J.P. McNamara on C103. And good morning, it's John Paul McNamara with you until one o'clock with Cork Today in for Patricia and our lines are open 1850-333-103 and you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 Bernie standing by taking your comments across the morning and ahead on the show we're going to hear and I'm not too sure if you did watch that TV show last night on Primetime uh, with RTE Investigates uh, we're going to hear how the Department of Health built secret dossiers on children with autism it follows that report which aired last night it shows how information from private doctor consultations was used to build up dossiers on children with autism who were involved in legal actions against the state we'll discuss that shortly on the programme it's just very upsetting for a lot of people this morning that they fight so hard first of all to get a diagnosis for their child then to try and access education which some some parents will find very difficult to do a lot of it is because the resources may not be in their local schools they have to go elsewhere and then the nearest school to them outside of their local one may not have the capacity to take their child so uh, parents then end up going public or uh, contacting the departments to see where they can get education for their child sometimes it does end up going the legal route for a number of various reasons anyhow uh, what's worrying here is uh, that information was being held and being taken, which you would think if you're going to a health professional, everything will be discussed confidentially. That information was being passed on to the Department of Health and then being shared between the Department of Education and the HSC. And that information could and was used for those who may be going to the courts. And in some cases, they approached the family before it went to the court. They had so much evidence. And then families get worried, of course, and, and decide to maybe settle out of court or not take action or or go down another route if they feel, you could say, intimidation in a way, the way this is going on. And the, the, all the departments are coming out last night in various statements to us and others saying that this is the norm, basically. But is it and should it be the norm? Discussing that very shortly. Also, again, it goes back to children and parents and why in this state do we just 
treat our children of this country just so badly. Uh, again, you know, this is another example. Have we learned anything from cover-ups and uh, different secret investigations like this? Uh, seemingly we have not. Uh, and it's a pity that again this morning we have to discuss something like this. And one interesting point when I was chatting to Bernie before we came on air, she said nothing will be done. And in a way, you, you, looking at different things that have happened, will anything be done? We've discussed this in so many levels before on different things on this state that have come out uh, on so many scandals and and Bernie made a very good point. These people are faceless and they are. She's dead right. People are faceless. People that make these decisions do wrong. Uh, civil servants who decide we'll do X, Y, Z. If we're ever trying to get a simple answer uh, compared to this, a very small answer and something that may be changing in the future and could affect people in the Cork area. If you contact the department, I mean, at the press office very well, they will come back and you know who you're dealing with there. But to get to the actual person who makes a decision that affects someone's life and all our lives impossible to get a name impossible to get anywhere and they are faceless people and a lot of people this morning will probably be saying what's the point nothing has happened before it's very slow for our public service to change and thankfully that whistleblower did come forward and raise uh, the worries he had on what he saw and how it affected families anyhow your views are welcome we'll be discussing that shortly on the programme 1850 333 103 and earlier in the week I spotted this uh, on watching the Oireachtas Joint Committee on Finance, they were discussing what we all know what happened within Davy. Well, banks now are looking at buying stockbrokers and while they are still in negotiations on purchasing the stockbrokers, uh, questions were asked and one of those was asked to the uh, bank CEO if basically a bank does purchase a stockbroker like Davy or Goodbody, can the bank execs move from AIB and then move to Goodbody if that deal does go through they then become an exec of a stockbroker firm therefore can they evade the banker's pay cap we'll be discussing later with Deputy McBarry who raised that at that Oireachtas Finance Committee meeting earlier this week and also we're going to be joined by Katrina Toomey on the show from Penny Dinners she had to deal this week with a call from the morgue on a person who had died and had no one belonged to him and this is not uncommon so we're going to chat with Katrina from Penny Dinners on this and also on what she is saying at the moment everything out there is becoming more intense as people continue to look and require help. We'll hear firsthand what is happening from Katrina within Penny Dinners. And also it's Daffodil Day and I was walking around last night and I saw a number of daffodils growing in various parts of where I'm living and I'm sure wherever you are you've noticed daffodils growing and they do brighten up our days but today is Daffodil Day a sure sign of spring and it's the big fundraiser for the Irish Cancer Society obviously enough we, they can't be out selling daffodils like they would be so the majority of fundraising events are online this year we're going to hear what they are doing and how you can help the Irish Cancer Society continue to provide services such as counselling and, and nurses helping people who are going through cancer and so much more they do when the people avail of their services so we'll speak with the Irish Cancer Society later in the programme and you heard Ken earlier and he was chatting about movies and how on a Friday night people tend to relax more and maybe uh, look at a, look at a movie or trying to find a movie anyhow somewhere to watch. Well, we'll have our movie review our movie review with Mark Malone. Uh, that's ahead later after midday. Checking out the best movies to stream this week. Uh, we'll be joining Mark later. One of them is really good. I call a trailer there and we'll hear more about that. But it's a good comedy and I think we need comedy at the moment and a bit of a light relief, don't we? But uh, something that we have got texts in over the last uh, half an hour or so on and it's 
interesting because this was raised yesterday at the press briefing for COVID and it's regarding camps for children at Easter. Now, I don't know if there's many taking place where we are here, but Easter camps for children, they have been blacklisted by public health officials and there's a lot of concerns amid play dates that may have happened for St. Patrick's Day, uh, St. Patrick's Day parties, Mother Day celebrations. Uh, seemingly, the, the, those in Neffet especially are worried that those events were fueling the spread of COVID-19. It comes as the spread at the moment. A lot of people, and you would have heard this in the last few days, we're at a high-risk situation at the moment with regards to the spread of this disease. And over the last number of weeks, due to people meeting up, uh, there's a, a risk of an onward rise in transmission. That's according to the HSE public health specialist, Dr. Miriam Owens. She said that children, they are reflecting what is in the community but it seems what is happening is that people are getting tired she says and feel it's time to relax but Mr or Dr Owen said it's not time to relax also Professor Philip Nolan who tracks the virus he revealed that there was a four to six fold increase in children under 12 referred by GPs for testing and that there has been 40 to 50 percent an increase in the rise in young children since February but he says just a fraction of that was linked to schools and when they were asked about advertisements for Easter camps for children Deputy Chief Medical Officer Dr Ronan Glynn got involved and he said he would appeal to organisers not to hold them and to parents not to get their children involved and earlier Professor Nolan also at that press briefing he warned that the current spread of the virus either static or potentially disimproving and that we are in a high risk situation at the moment so that people have to be on their guard over the next two weeks of course we are going into mid term now uh, for the schools and people usually will be planning uh, trips away this time of the year but that won't be happening this time and also when it comes to something we mentioned there on uh, visiting households it appears and again this was Dr Ronan Glynn making uh, and saying this last night at that Neffet briefing he says a doubling in the amount of inter-household visiting since the start of February has been cited as the factor behind the plateauing rise of cases of COVID-19 one in ten people visited another household for social reasons in mid-March up from 1 in 20 at the start in February so they are concerned and they're calling it a small slippage in the level of households visiting Uh, but on that then we are hearing that the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and this is the one-shot jab that many people are asking about. That should and hopefully will increase the rollout of the protection against uh, the disease. When will that come? Hopefully in the next few weeks. Uh, they're working on that and Johnson & Johnson will be shortly added to the list. Uh, at the start, they were saying the end of March, start of April. We'll have to wait and see for a definite date on that because the dates keep changing, don't they? Uh, but well, as I mentioned vaccines, what about this story in the Irish Daily Mail this morning that a private hospital... Uh, In Dublin, it gave COVID-19 vaccines to teachers at a private school. Uh, The Daily Mail revealed uh, this on their front page this morning that 20 teachers and staff at the fee-paying St. Gerard's Catholic School in Bray, they received vaccines that were left over. And the Mail has confirmed that the children of the CEO of the Beacon Hospital, Michael Cullen, they attend this school. Now, teachers would not be receiving the vaccine at the moment. And according to what's in the Daily Mail, it does appear 
fear that there was vaccines left over. Uh, there was also a case of a no-show and instead of wasting the vaccines, they then decided to go down this route and it was the teachers of that school that picked up the vaccine. A lot of anger in Bray over this. Uh, one Sinn Féin TD in Wicklow has said it's the privileged looking after the privileged and even though Stephen Donnelly, uh, the Minister for Health, has come out and he says the state is aiming to give 80% of adults their first jab by the end of June and many feel what happened yesterday uh, there in Dublin is very unfair to give that to that school in Bray, to give them the vaccine. Well, as I'm speaking, because uh, they were waiting for confirmation from that school. The school made no response to the Daily Mail, but in the last number of minutes, the Beacon Hospital have confirmed it's administered 20 leftover COVID-19 vaccines to a number of teachers at a school earlier this week. In a statement, the hospital apologised for the upset caused by the move, acknowledging that the decision was not in line with the sequencing guidelines in place from the HSE. Obviously, a lot of people will be angry now over this, but they do confirm what's in the Irish Daily Mail this morning and they say that the leftover AstraZeneca vaccines needed to be used within a very short period of time last Tuesday uh, and that's how those teachers got vaccinated. Anyhow, you can make uh, what you wish of that uh, 1850 and mandatory hotel quarantine that now has come into effect. So much talk about that over the last week. It's in effect now and as you know, travellers are required to book a 12 night stay from a selection of hotels. They can do that online and they must pay for that themselves and everything is now in place when it comes to people travelling in from a list of countries coming to Ireland. They must uh, quarantine in those selected hotels and yesterday we were speaking about mass and we heard during the week how people were very angry and that they could not attend uh, mass and they wanted some consideration in the future for mass now it, a lot of people didn't felt watch it online and we should not open the churches for Easter just in case it would cause a spike well it seems in Scotland the mass service at St Mary's Cathedral Church in Calton in Glasgow uh, that has opened after coronavirus regulations they were forced uh, the closures of all churches like here in Scotland well it seems the, the this went to, to court and it was deemed unlawful by the court of session in Scotland and churches now are due to be allowed to open again today under Scottish government guidance. So uh, in Scotland, it went to full hog legally and now they're opening their churches again uh, under their laws there in Scotland. We'll have to wait and see. I don't think anything is going to happen here anyhow in the next while and just mixed views on that. Anyhow, your uh, lines, our lines are open. Your views are welcome. 1850-333-103 or you can text or WhatsApp 0862103103. And a lot of calls and comments in already. We'll get through uh, your calls and comments between now and one o'clock to Bernie and eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Text or WhatsApp zero eight six two one zero three one zero three. A lot of people not happy with the story uh, I mentioned there from the Irish Daily Mail and indeed the Beacon Hospital giving a number of vaccines to teachers from a fee paying school in Bray and County Wicklow. And people I think are just angry at the way it's been handled and didn't think that this is happening, even though the vaccines were left over and at least they have been used. But it's the way they have been used and something else that has come up and this is from a listener who no name but they just say I am from West Cork and they feel it's a total disgrace that children are off for two weeks for Easter holidays and they're not long back I hope to God they will be going back after the Easter holidays I think it's a joke to thinking that our children will pick up in their education and then they're in school they're out of school it's a total disgrace so I presume with that text uh, not happy that the Easter holidays are going ahead considering uh, that they were physically not in school but of course 
they were learning from home, so they were still doing schools uh, and doing educational achievements and educational work. At, but at, as you say, they weren't physically in the school. They were at home doing that. If you speak to teachers, they were working uh, more so than ever, some would say, across January and February uh, while the schools were operating at home and online. So some will say they're entitled to their holiday. That person on text and WhatsApp disagrees. Your views are welcome on that. WhatsApp 86 and something that I think some people might forget about, we're springing forward this weekend and I have a number of texts to say don't forget uh, to set your clocks forward this weekend from Saturday night into Sunday morning. The clocks are going forward and a reminder uh, to move them forward because I think with everything going on around us and lockdown and everything else, uh, some people are finding the weeks going very fast, indeed I am, but others are, are just figuring out what day it is. <laughs> you forget what day you have some days uh, with everything going on. So, if you wake up Sunday morning and you're wondering why things may be an hour ahead, that is why we're springing forward this weekend. The clock's going forward uh, on Sunday morning. But on the way next, did you watch that programme last night highlighting what is happening within a number of departments and how they have built secret dossiers on children with autism? We'll be discussing that next. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 86 the Department of Health has been secretly using information from private doctor consultations to build and maintain dossiers on children with autism who were involved in legal actions against the state. Last night, an RTE Investigates report showed how sensitive medical and educational information of children involved in long dormant court cases were built and maintained over a number of years by the Department of Health without the knowledge or consent of parents. Corky's Labour Deputy Sean Sherlock's joined me on this issue this morning. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, John Paul. Uh, Sean, to think that so much has gone on in this state in connection to children and still in modern day terms, we still see something like this happening. A lot of people were shocked and upset is the big word uh, that we're hearing this morning from listeners on text. It, It takes a lot to shock politicians because we see the whole gamut of humanity coming through our doors. But if you watch that programme last night, uh, one was left with a sense of foreboding about the, 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 the manner in which the state dealt with children in this regard. There was something very dark and secretive and surreptitious about the manner in which they gathered information. And and to give your listeners who may not have listened to the program or watched the program a sense of, of 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 what it was was if I was advocating on behalf of my child for access to services such that those services weren't forthcoming, and if my child had uh, you know uh, say autism and, and we were going to take a legal action against the state, the state in effect was gathering information about my family, my child, so that they could prepare a legal strategy. So, for instance, John Paul, if I was coming to you and you were my, you know, physician, consultant, counsellor, you know, for psychological or, you know, therapeutic counselling, what would happen was I would go to you, you would draw up a file of our engagements, and that file was then passed on to the Department of Health, such that if I was taking a case against the department for lack of access to services or for a lack of access to education, 
the Department of Health in, with their legal team in defence of or potentially in defence of an action I might take had access to all of the medical files. And not only that, John Paul, they also had access to uh, Department of Education files. So in other words, if there were school reports in respect of my child, if there were you know, any other uh, you know, school-related issues that they wanted to be notified bo- about, that such a mechanism existed for those files to be translated or transferred uh, to the Department of Education. It is, it is, it is dark. It is, it is, it is absolutely uh, upsetting to 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 have watched this last night. And you know, I think we should give thanks for people like Shane Carr and for people like Conor Ryan who exposed this, because it is another, as you pointed out, it's another. Uh, strike against children in this country where we have seen the state colluding to uh, suppress the rights of children to have access to services and we're seeing it right up to the present moment now we thought it was historical you know that level of collusion between uh, the state in respect of uh, mother and baby homes where you had falsified uh, you know, birth certificates and so on, you know, uh, illegal adoptions and so on. But we're now seeing evidence right up to, you know, 2017, 2018 in respect of the gathering of information about children and their families where there may have been uh, cases being brought uh, against the state in respect of access to services. And it, the worrying thing, Sean, here uh, on this is the fact that you have the state who have all that information. Uh, but last night we would have heard of a family who were going to court and because the Department of Health and Education had all the details, they were trying to approach that family and settle out of court. There was even a video, I think, in one of the cases of a child basically having a meltdown and that was all used against the family, which is over the thing that something like that is still going on. But also these parents, and we, we have called nearly every day from a parent who is trying to access education for their child who has autism. The local school has not the facility. They try and go to the nearest school outside of their local school. Some just looking for a diagnosis. And when they can't get that legally is the only route. And this is what happens. This is what comes up against them. And, and this is what happens because right increasingly more and more of my time as a TD is spent on advocating for children who find themselves bereft of services and increasingly parents you know are, are continue to have to battle for the, the the services that they have a right and an entitlement in law to the most recent example for instance is the the issue of access to uh, assessments of needs now there was, there's a major battle there going on in respect of assessments of needs for children where there's you know special educational needs and, and other additional needs that children have where parents consistently have to do battle. But not only are they waiting on these lists such that they're forced into getting private assessments. And, and, and to be fair to Anne Rabbit, and, and I'll give her credit for this, she is working on trying to get that list down and we have to give credit where credit is due. But the ongoing issue then is, is, is the mechanism by which you do the assessment of need, which has been argued to be flawed by those who work professionally in this sector. But then there's the issue of access to the, the follow-on services, for which there's another list that people have, that children have to go on. And, and not only that then, John Paul, in the Cork area, there is now a network of, of school principals who are saying that 
the discretion of the local special education and needs coordinator has just been dispensed with such that they now have to make cases to the NCSE in respect of additional staff for schools. And what we're seeing then as TDs is an increasing presentation of children with special educational needs where they they have to spread a smaller number of teachers across an an extra number of pupils and it just doesn't fit. And, And they've they're put through the rigours then and the principals then are forced into to telling a parent that I'm very sorry, we don't have access to special educational teaching for your child and, and the child is left without the, the necessary services. So we're failing children miserably. And I say that when I say we, I'm a TD, I was in government, I say that as the royal we, so to speak. We are failing children miserably in this state and we have to reverse those trends. But the programme last night, I think, is the thin end of the wedge because there needs to be an inquiry about this now. There is a moral and ethical issue here and there's a legal issue. The moral issue is the morality of the Department of Health and Education gathering information surreptitiously without the parent or the child having knowledge of that information being gathered about them to be used against them in a legal as a legal strategy where they were taking cases. The ethical issue here is in relation to the fact that teach, uh, teachers were yielding up, or schools may have been yielding up to the department specific information uh, about children, and also consultants or those working in the medical profession or, or in the counselling profession. Uh, yielding up information about children, uh, you know, you know, yeah, and you'd have to wonder counselling sessions, and, and also the legality of that. Well, that's the thing. That GDPR, GDPR, were being spoken about. Private companies have been hit big time for GDPR. The departments of education and health and the HSC, they basically have come out and said this is the norm. This is what happens. We do share information in cases like this. But if a civil servant does disclose information without authorization, then they can be found guilty of this Official Secrets Act. While then they can do what they're doing, some would say very secretly. But GDPR has to be brought up in this because they're not protecting the rights. Stay there, Sean, because the Cork Northwest phenophile to the Michael Moynihan joins us on the line. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. And Michael, you have contacted us. You're saying, watching this last night, you're upset. And I'm sure you concur what Sean is saying there, that we have to look forward now on this. But where do we go from here, considering what has happened to the most vulnerable in society who, as we've mentioned, fight for their child, for diagnosis, for education, have put their fate in the state and it was used against them? Yeah, I I think, you know, I'm quite disturbed I'm quite upset by last night's programme and I'd like to compliment those that brought the programme forward because it shines light into the arms of the state that are... And it's almost as if, you know, the Department of the State is there to protect the Department of the State rather than protecting the child. And, like, we have seen... Uh, as Sean has said, you know, many of the discussions in terms of the, you know, how we have failed children in this country over the many years. But here we are uh, in 2021 and we get this programme in relation to it. There is a, a kind of a holding letter uh, or uh, defence coming out from the Department of Health, you know, that um, that the, uh, is typical of the sort of information which arises in such litigation. The language that's coming out of it is even more disturbing. It's kind of putting a defence of sorts into what the department were doing. I think that, you know, um, 
the challenges that uh, parents and kids with uh, with uh, educational needs and health needs, the fight that they have had, and I've been, you know, working with them over the last 20 years, and it's an honour to work with them to try and advance the cases, but the difficulties that we come up with, the barriers that we come up with, um, it, it right through to the present day, you know, there are issues there at, right at the moment in relation to uh, the transport issues and trying to streamline it through the Department of Education. And we always believe that the department or the government are trying to do the best for uh, people, the entire citizens. That's their job. Their job is to look after or to do what is right for the citizen, but also what is right for the most vulnerable, be they parents or be they kids with special needs or anybody that is vulnerable within our society. And going through the program last night and listening to it absolutely, uh, uh, you know, in every syllable that was being spoken, the challenge that I see is that, you know, it's almost as if the, the, there is a very powerful, well-resourced section within the departments to prepare litigation. And, you know, any of the litigation issues that are going on, the state has huge, uh, I, I suppose, a power in terms of litigation and how they can uh, take on cases. And why are we like that? Why is the Irish state like that when someone threatens legal, that they they get so protective and the civil servants get so protective over over what has happened, which is clearly wrong, but it's like that they own the country. Any reason why that is, and that has happened over and over again in this country. And and that's where I was coming to, right, John Paul? I was coming to that point. That is the issue. That is the case. Like, it should be when, a, a, you know, looking for um, a assessment of needs, you know, there's a huge waiting list in terms of occupational therapy and, and uh, uh, educational needs and uh, speech therapy right across the spectrum. And we could have three programs uh, every day on the discussion. Of but the point being is that there are powerful interests within the departments of space that are always ready to fight the case or take the case on in terms of defending the litigation. And why that culture is developing within departments, we need to explore that because a lot of these cases, and, you know, I would, we, we have on the Disability Matters Committee, we have a public meeting on Tuesday and we have a private meeting on Wednesday, and we will be discussing this at length to see what, it, but the point being is a lot of these cases are ultimately settled against the state. And how much money is spent by the state in defending these actions when that money should be better spent in giving services to people that are vulnerable, giving services to kids with special needs, to giving them a better quality of life and not having the parents constantly on battle mode, constantly trying to fight for resources, trying to fight for services, and that there should you know, the state needs to change its attitude. Many of the cases that we have, we, we look at uh, over the years, they are settled uh, out of court or they're settled at court. And there is a huge amount of money spent by the state. In uh, What's the language that they used this morning? You know, the, the, to gather uh, and maintain appropriate information that the Department of Health uses, that kind of language. And even today, 
they are not prepared to say, right, you know, we are going to look at all the cases and all the information, uh, how we're, first of all, correlating information that, you know, I, my belief on the data protection and everything else should not be correlated, that should not be available to the state's litigation offices. But second of all, why are we always going down the route? Why is the state always ready to go to court to defend the state it should be that they should look at the case and say right we have issues here let's try and spend any resources that there are scarce resources right across but any resources there rather than litigation spend it on the child or the family that needs support. And for for both of you, because out of this this morning, the majority of callers are asking, will this happen again? Why have we not learned from mistakes of the past? For example, Dan and Banahasek is saying the women from the mother and baby homes have been asking for years for information. This looks like a very similar position, while Keith is saying if Shane Corr were to end up in prison, there would be thousands of special needs parents there to tear down the walls and walk him out. While Donna says the irony of this the whistleblower could face prosecution under this official secrets act for telling the story and some of the most vulnerable in society and yet have been treated by the dark forces of the state but what will happen to those the dark forces and that is what we are asking because I know the Oireachtas Health Committee Sean are going to are due to meet anyhow I think if not today uh, very shortly on what has come out in that programme last night but a point that has been made here earlier by our own Bernie and a lot of people on text and WhatsApp backing her up when it comes to civil servants a lot of them are faceless and when it comes to dealing with situations like this uh, no one loses their job we're dealing with a faceless society within uh, the public service so what can happen what will happen because we, we haven't seen a lot happen over the years we've seen settlements and redress schemes and this kind of a thing uh, but we don't see anybody held accountable Sean well first of all to go back to a point that was made earlier and what what goes to the heart of this is culture. You have a culture within the Department of Health and the Department of Education that is secretive, and you can draw a thread between what happened in mother and baby homes to what happened which in, in the programme that was highlighted. It's a culture of secrecy. It's a culture of defend the department at all costs. And Michael touched on this earlier. And until you can deconstruct that, uh, we're going to continue to have issues like this. The point that really uh, struck me last night was the legal defence that the department uh, uh, entered into, where they said this is all perfectly normal as part of a legal strategy to defend case. Well, there's nothing normal about a consultant or a an educationalist or a counsellor, for instance, giving information to a department in respect of anybody where that person goes to their counsellor, psychologist, psychiatrist or whatever, uh, or, 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 or goes to their, uh, you know, physician and the physician or counsellor ends up giving that information. The, we, that is the, one of the most protected relationships that there is in society. And Sean, and, as you mentioned that, a text case, just in asking on that very point you're mentioning there, if the doctors are in breach of confidentiality and passing that information onto the HSE on request, should they now be struck off the register? Well, what we now need to see is how the Oireachtas is going to deal with this or how the doll is going to deal with this. The, 
uh, the Health Committee will deal with it today. Uh, there have been calls for a public inquiry in respect of this. There has to be some mechanism which is a, an open and transparent mechanism. And what we still don't have in this society, in this day and age, to answer all of the points, because the commonality with all of the points of, that your listeners have raised is the lack of transparency. We still have an issue with transparency in this society. And the culture of the civil service is still predicated on a culture of secrecy. And, and, and the very simple example of that is when people like me or Michael put on parliamentary questions to ministers and we get answers back from the civil servants, very often you've got to do three or four follow-up questions before you get the answer. It's a culture of defend the realm at all costs defend the department. And until such time as we blow that culture out of the water, we're going to continue to have scenarios such as this. But what needs to happen next is there there needs to be a full examination of who did what and when. There are a finite number of files. Each of the files have to be examined. So the answer to the question from your listener in respect of the consultants involved or the schools involved, there now needs to be a trace back and a track back of of who said what to whom and when. And yeah. that needs to come... And, and until such time, as that information comes out into the public domain and there's a transparent process, whether it's a judicial inquiry, whether it's a commission of investigation, whether it's a doll inquiry, whatever the, the mechanism that is used. And there will be something put... Uh, done here because there has to be because we in opposition and I'm sure government TDs as well like Michael will insist upon it that the, there has to be some mechanism to deal with this now And Michael uh, uh, before I let you go as Sean mentioned there government TDs are also out on this today very upset of what has happened you are part of that government with Fianna Fáil uh, do you think that something now will happen with these faceless people we keep hearing about and very briefly because we're running over time uh, what can happen what can you do and what can the Oireachtas Health Committee do to stop this culture? Well, I, I, like, I, I thank you for the amount of time that you're giving this because this is very, very serious, right? And I think that we, all of us that are honoured to be public representatives, have to take this and look at the culture that has been developed about defending cases. There has to be a complete investigation as how much money the state is defending, is using to defend cases that they ultimately have to be settled. And that, the, you know, how, who makes the decision as to how they're going to prolong this legal action or take this legal action and correlate the information? Yeah. A, a number of and and that money right? could be better used within the system to, the to provide services for those who need those services. Absolutely. How much money has been spent on these cases? And that money should be channeled to the most vulnerable, to the people that need the money in the first instances in, in terms of services. And I, I certainly am going to use whatever influence I have as chair of the Disabilities Committee to highlight it, to try and get answers to it, and also to try and make sure that we shine a spotlight on state litigation and who is making the decisions about state litigation and how much money is being spent on it. And I think that we, we have to, like, you know, here. I think everybody will, uh, I, I don't know, but I, judging by the reaction that I got last night and this morning, people are quite up, upset, I, I think upset rather, you know. The, it's the, upset and disappointment, yeah. Just disappointment and upset that whilst we are dealing, we have been dealing with issues going back over the decades for many years, bringing a spotlight on it. And here we are right now 
and the state has this kind of almost authoritarian, you know, decisions making. Oh, we're going to defend this case. We're going to challenge the parents, the children, and use all the information of the state. Use every arm of the state to correlate information to protect themselves. Who are they protecting? If the state is not there to respond and to protect the most vulnerable and all of our citizens is it there to who can we trust I suppose who can we trust I have I to leave it there yeah I Sean very briefly point. yeah very very briefly in, in, have to in move in a few seconds the point here is that these were dormant cases mm-hmm. but the files exist so in other words there, were, there was no furtherance of the, the litigation if you will or, or, or we don't know if they were settled out of court but the very fact that people's private information is now stored on a file in the Department of Health and the Department of Education, we have to open up those files. That's the bottom line here. Otherwise, we won't get to the bottom of this. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. Hopefully something will come out of this because the public want that. We don't want what has happened with previous historic cases over the years, like Dan has mentioned there in Balanhasic regarding the mothers and baby homes. For the moment, uh, thanks for both of you uh, for contacting us and raising uh, the issue uh, on this morning show. Following that report last night, that is Cork Labour, Cork or Cork East Labour Deputy Sean Sherlock and Cork North West Fianna Fáil Deputy Michael Moynihan. Your views are welcome. A lot of people unhappy, uh, as, as Michael has said, disappointed and upset by this 1850. 333103 or you can text or WhatsApp 086 2103103. You can email JP at c103.ie. Good morning to you. Our lines are open 1850 333103 and you can text or WhatsApp 086 2103103. And people are reacting to the story uh, that's on the Daily Mail today and this is regarding the private hospital. This is the Beacon Hospital which had leftover vaccines and they gave them to teachers at a school in Bray. It's a fee-paying school. And it came out then that the CEO of the Beacon Hospital, Michael Cullen, his children attend this school. A lot of people angry over this. And the Beacon Hospital have confirmed this morning uh, that they did administer 20 leftover COVID-19 vaccines to a number of teachers at a school earlier this week. And on this, a number of people are saying they're waiting for the vaccine. They've heard nothing yet. And this Clarny listener says, I'm imprisoned over over a year I've done everything to protect myself and others my reward was a vaccine from the government but alas nothing as a medically vulnerable person along with several others I feel totally abandoned by the state says that listener in Killarney while John in Kenturk on this says Pharmacy workers uh, have not got the vaccine and they are on the front line like so many others. John is a voluntary driver taking cancer patients to the city and he has not got the vaccine. So he says he can't continue to do this without the vaccine. Uh, they need to look after the frontline workers first, such as those running those services, those working in shops and those working in chemists, says John in Kenturk on 1850 And when I mentioned there regarding Daffodil Day, today is Daffodil Day in partnership with Boots. And while you can buy an Irish Society Daffodil Day when you're out and about, you can still support the amazing work they do. And you can go online and visit Daffodil Day at their shop. And they're selling a number of items on that shop at cancer.ie. We'll have more on Daffodil Day later in the programme. We'll be speaking with the Irish Cancer Society. But the banks have been in the news of late for closing branches and cash desks within branches. Also uh, we've heard of bank acquisitions so they're in the news following what went on with Davy. and what I found interesting during the week was a discussion 
and that was held uh, within the Joint Committee on Finance, Public Expenditure and Reform. Deputy Mick Barney was part of that discussion. He joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Mick. Good morning to you, JP. Uh, first of all, the Bank of Ireland Chief Executive, Francesca McDonough, she was before this committee. And what makes this interesting for people is you asked a question about banks interested in taking over stockbrokers such as Davy with Bank of Ireland and maybe Goodbody with AIB. Now, while nothing is confirmed and they're all, it's all speculation and they're looking at this at the moment, one point you made was interesting because you asked the question, would, for example, with Bank of Ireland, would Davy execs become Bank of Ireland execs or remain as Davy, and if this was the way, they then would not fall under the banker's cap and the pay cap that's been in place basically since the crash. Yeah, so let's remind ourselves uh, that there is a banker's pay cap uh, in this country. Um, it's not the minimum wage and it's not uh, the living wage. Uh, it's €500,000 per annum. Um, uh, so that's the maximum that uh, a banking executive uh, can make. Um, the banks are opposed to the banker's pay cap. Surprise, surprise. Uh, and they're trying to find sneaky ways around it. Uh, and with the help and the assistance of uh, the Minister for Finance, uh, allied Irish banks have found a way around it. So how does that work? Uh, AIB are uh, on their way to uh, purchasing and finalising the deal with a stockbroking company called Goodbody. So what they're going to do uh, is that when they've bought it up, the Goodbody executives will keep their Goodbody executive contracts. Uh, stockbrokers are not covered by the banker's cap, so they can continue to earn more uh, than €500,000 a year, but then the AIB executives can transfer over to Goodbody, have Goodbody contracts, and get paid more than €500,000 themselves. And that's been signed, sealed, and delivered uh, by Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, okay? So it looks like Bank of Ireland are going to get in on the act now. As you say, their Chief Executive Officer, Francesca McDonough, was in front of the Oireachtas Finance Committee on Tuesday, and I had the opportunity to question her. Um, they are lining up a bid for the disgraced Davy stockbrokers. Uh, and I asked her, was she going to pull the same stunt? Basically, I, I used more parliamentary language than that. She wouldn't discuss the Davy situation. So I said, okay, well, theoretically, if there was an organisation, let's call it Entity B, that you took over, uh, would you be in favour of taking the same approach? And she said, basically, yes, because we're opposed to the banker's pay cap. So what we have here at a time when we've got record unemployment, we've got people who've taken a huge hit in terms of their incomes, uh, we have the mental health pressures bearing down on the population, uh, the great and the good in the form of the top banking executives who uh, are where they are today, thanks to the people of this country who bailed the banks out, are looking at sneaky ways around the banker's pay cap and it seems that they're finding them with the help and assistance of the government.
And can anything be changed or arranged that, I know you say it's a done deal and it's already been signed in by the finance minister, but can they not change this whereby execs can swap from one brand basically to another, even if they own the other brand? For example, if AIB do own Goodbody, that they can swap from AIB to Goodbody. They have to remain with AIB. Can anything be done at this stage? Well, of course, something could be done if the political will was there for it to be done. Legislation could be introduced relatively uh, simply, but the point is, uh, this government, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens, uh, are not going to bring in that legislation. And if an opposition party proposes that legislation, uh, they'll vote it down. They are supporting this. They're trying to do it on the quiet, which is one of the reasons why people like myself are on your radio station this morning. We're blowing the whistle, so to speak, on this and uh, asking the likes of your show to shine a light and what's going on here, I'm, so, I'm sure the listeners will be outraged. And what do you say then when you were discussing this uh, during the week with the Bank of Ireland Chief Executive Francesca McDonagh you did uh, put this to her and one of the reasons she came back about the bankers pay cap is that both banks Bank of Ireland and AIB they say that when it comes to recruiting they cannot get talent to come in and work in the banking sector here in Ireland due to the pay cap that many here in Ireland and elsewhere are going to work with banks in Europe because of our pay cap I mean, when she's giving that, that they can recruit talent, I mean, that's, is that legitimate on, on the bank's behalf? Well, to my mind, it shows the need for the banks to be run on an entirely different basis. Because if you run the banks um, the way that they're run uh, in, you know, a capitalist economic system, there is a certain logic that if you're going to get, you know, the top people in, you pay the top people's rate, and that's apparently more than half a million euro a year at the moment. So let's look at the whole model of banking. What we should have in this country is banks that are publicly owned and publicly controlled, but not as a halfway house to privatisation, or not in the interests of the country's elite as opposed to the interests of the ordinary people. We should have publicly owned banks which serve the interests of working people, um, ordinary people, the middle class, etc. And you would have plenty of talented people uh, working in the banks or plenty of talented people uh, who have, you know, economics degrees, uh, financial expertise, uh, who would be prepared uh, to work for such a system in the interest of ordinary people and to be paid, you know, a million miles less than half a million euro a year, okay? Um, So it it raises a question about the way in which the economic system and the banks are run, uh, rather than, you know, the idea that a a pay cap of half a million a year is uh, not legitimate. And at a time where we're hearing about banks closing branches in many areas, they're closing casts, uh, cash desks now I think in a lot of the branches whereby they become fully automated so while ba- the branches are closing for some banks other branches are just becoming automated there's physically uh, no desk going to be open where somebody can talk to someone you'll have to go to a machine and while we're hearing all of this happening within the last week or two uh, is it a time that you don't want to be hearing transfers of execs to another company owned by a bank and the term bank 
bonuses coming back in again. I mean, that's the last thing people want to hear when they're closing branches. And a lot of people feel they will damage local towns and indeed areas of the cities where they do close these branches. Yeah, so there's 88 branches being closed by Ulster Bank. Uh, There's 88 branches in the Republic being closed by Bank of Ireland. Um, There's 2,800 jobs on the line in Ulster Bank and 1,700 redundancies being sought uh, in in, uh, Bank of Ireland. So what a contrast this is on the one hand uh, with the bonus culture uh, and the fabulous wages uh, that the top executives uh, want to be paid to themselves. And then we have Ulster Bank, of course, who've been fined a record uh, over 37 million euros uh, for causing unacceptable, basically, and avoidable harm to those on tracker mortgages over the years. Uh, they've been forced to pay out that money, uh, but still we're in a situation whereby we could have uh, the pay caps changing again, even though we're, I suppose the big question here is when you hear that fine over the last few days, bank branches closing, you know, cash desks closing, have we learned anything from what happened in 2008 into 2009? Uh, well, I've learned something, and I think a lot of ordinary people have learned something. Uh, but clearly Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens um, basically um, are playing the game more or less uh, the same way. Um, 37.8 million euro fine uh, yesterday on the tracker mortgage scandal um, you know, thirty-seven point eight million is a, a huge sum of money to the likes of you and me. Uh, but given what the banks did um, with the tracker mortgage scandal, uh, that is uh, not uh, a big fine. Uh, and in fact, what could have happened, and what I think should have happened in relation to this scandal, uh, is that. Um, you know, should the Gardaí have been involved uh, in it? And I would raise the same question in relation to the issue that you were discussing before the news break uh, about the Department of Health keeping files on the families of children with autism who mm-hmm. had the temerity to take legal cases uh, against uh, the state. Um, this really speaks of a culture within the, the highest levels of the civil service, within uh, the Department of Health, really going after people uh, who've got the nerve to stand up for their, their rights and the rights of their kids. We saw it with the cervical cancer women, and we're seeing it now in relation to these families. And I, I would like to see uh, uh, a full inquiry which uh, gets to the root of who are the top civil servants who operated this spying operation and who were the ministers for health at the time. Did they know were they implicated? And if they didn't know, um, you know, are they incompetent? Uh, and, and should they uh, depart the uh, uh, political uh, scene? And I think there is, there is a case for, for, for those issues being looked at by the guards as well. Yeah, indeed there is. And I know it just in the last few minutes on Taoiseach Michal Martin has asked the Minister for Health, Stephen. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. And Donnelly to consider a review of policy following what was raised last night and what we discussed there before 11 o'clock. The Taoiseach spoke uh, to Mr Donnelly last night regarding the report. They're meeting today. It's understood that the Taoiseach has asked Mr Donnelly to examine the issues in this report and uh, Michal Martin, when asked about the role of the departments involved, he said the main priority of government departments such as health, education and children is to advocate for children's needs. Something that you could say they weren't doing with what came out in that report. For the moment, Mick We'll leave it there and we're interested to see what will happen uh, with the banks and if those bank chiefs will uh, move around and try to avoid the pay caps that were introduced. We'll have to wait and see what can happen there for the moment. Thanks for raising that and joining us this morning on the programme. Anytime, JP. Take care. Uh, thank you. Solidarity TD for Cork North Central. Mick Barry, your views are welcome on the banks to 1850 333 103 or indeed text of WhatsApp 0862103103. On the way, we're going to hear from Katrina Toomey is going to join us from Penny Dinners on what she sees is the intensity of what is happening out there at the moment and why people are coming to Penny Dinners and others for looking for help and seeking advice as well. And also uh, on the set of phone calls that she's been receiving over over the last uh, few weeks, especially one uh, this week. We'll uh, speak with Katrina then. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103 we know only too well the work of Penny Dinners and recently we spoke uh, to Katrina Toomey about the campaign on placing teddy bears on bridges around the city and indeed county towns uh, to show support to those who are finding life tough at the moment. Well, it seems over the last week that Penny Dinners are still seeing more people call to them, a lot of intensity out there and people struggling now more than ever due to the ongoing lockdown and the ongoing pandemic and Katrina joins me again this morning from Penny Dinners. Good morning to you, Katrina. Katrina. Good morning. Good morning. And thanks for joining us. Uh, just something that we've been discussing is how people are finding everything at the moment very tough. But we are aware of more deaths on our streets at the moment from yeah. people who are sleeping rough on the streets and other situations taking place. But just tell me about something which uh, I am aware took place this week. And this is a phone call that you received from the morgue. A very sad uh, phone yeah. call you received. Yeah. And, you know, it, it wouldn't be... Uh, you know, it's not something that we're not used to, we are. But we got a phone call that somebody who had been out there a number of weeks and 
not being claimed, you know, um, and it was just, I suppose, um, because they're so very respectful out in the world, you know, they wanted to, to give them a chance at, at a proper, I suppose, funeral. And um, so we tried to trace the family and we could only get up as far as Kells County Mead, but we couldn't trace it, anybody from his family at all at all. So we got back onto the morgue to say that we would take him and that we would take him to the crematorium, which we did. And um, we had a funeral there for him. You know, there was just six of us there from Penny Dinners and we had our musical director and he sang. He's an amazing singer and he sang and I suppose the song that he finished up with was um, Everybody Hurts because everybody does hurt. But when somebody dies, there's some sort of, I suppose, a respect and a reverence that we're supposed to all have like for each other and just the fact that he was so alone with made it um you know, we became his family to help him leave the world, I suppose. And when you say the more contacted you, were you aware of this man when you found out oh, who he him. was? You knew we, him. We knew him. We knew him. We knew him. We knew him quite well. You know, so he 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 was homeless and um he died in one of the shelters and um so we just said, Okay, we'll we'll step in and um, because, you know, people expect us to look after everybody that's alive, but they've also known of situations whereby we've had to buy suits, we've had to buy some stuff for people to to wear in a coffin, you know, like a, like a suit, a shirt and tie, or um, a jumper and a, 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 you know, a skirt, you know, you know, just to, so that they could be laid out in. And um, we've had to do that, and we've been doing that for a number of years. And... Um, so, like, um, the stuff that happens around that is very, very sad for us, I suppose, I say one, you know. But what we do is we're very practical. We know that something has to be done. The priest was there last week. He gave a beautiful service. And when when we came out of the crematorium, the undertaker just called me to one side and he gave me a little plastic lunch bag, you know, and those see through the blood things. And um, in it was his possessions, which turned out to be a rosary bead. A pair of scapulars, two lighters, and a broken ring, you know, that he probably wore on his finger. And that's what he had with that's him. Had. That was his entire life. Yeah, and now where, where he is now is he his, he has been cremated and um, his ashes will be still in the undertakers. There are some more over there. And um, we're putting a garden of remembrance in James Street in our centre in James Street. It's the centre is going to be called Crena Lee, the heart of the Lee, because we're going to have a lot of stuff going on there, and we're going to try and fill a lot of gaps that are missing, and we're going to have a doctor, a dentist, all of that stuff, as well as cookery classes and educational rooms and stuff, and all geared towards helping people either get back into employment or get back into um, college, or people that just need company, you know, stuff like that. But we're going to put our garden of remembrance out there. And um, we'll be calling it probably the Dublin John Garden of Remembrance because um, we have his we have his um, ashes as well. And um, John was kind of very was a service user for years and years and years. But more than that, he just became part of our family. Like everybody knew John, my grandchildren knew the whole lot, everything. So he's part and parcel of Penny Dinners and. And always will be. Even sometimes when we go away, we take his photograph with us. You know, we did the Patrick's Day Parade with a photograph up on the 
the the float that we had going round, you know, he's always he was some character. But um again there are lots of people now that kind of have nobody belonging to them. And we also have people that can't afford to bury their their dead, you know, they simply can't. They don't have the money for it. So that's something like that the government should be looking at as well, like to help out families that really and truly cannot afford to bury their dead. And in the middle of their trauma, not having the money for to pay for a funeral can be more traumatic and affect the families even more because they feel sometimes like that, you know, that maybe they're leaving their loved ones down and, and just the strain of trying to get that money together and to pay it, you know, and it's like they're paid off weekly or monthly and that goes on for years for a lot of them as well. Yeah, and they're embarrassed as well, Katrina. They don't want to be telling people at the time of a funeral that we can't afford to pay this. And no. while funeral directors are very good to sit down uh, and discuss that, yeah, they're they're fantastic. A yeah. sit a person is slow to bring up the conversation. And and with everything you were doing there regarding uh, that poor man who who went to the yeah. crematorium and and people who are struggling, I mean, that's your own fundraising that is paying for this. It so is it, it, it is. is something that you would like the state to take a look at for people who are struggling provide some support because I presume that call you got from the morgue uh, isn't the only one you mentioned you, you, you no. get a number of these and, and, and uh-huh. how, on average how, how many calls could you receive like this? Well you know we, we, might, we might get a call in relation to, to something else um, you know um, but like obviously we don't get a great many calls but the fact is like years ago we never got anything like this. We never had people that died on the streets. We never had people that died in shelters. We never had people that died of, you know, a lot of the issues that are going on today. You know, everything has intensified and it has the numbers have grown. But the thing is, like, we've seen firsthand the trauma of people dying alone. You know, we've been and, and just dying out there in a very lonely place. And... um but then to be left with not having nobody come forward to claim their body, that that's very, very difficult as well. So that's when we make the decision. We knew him. And I suppose he was part of the extended family at Penny Dinners in one way or another. And we just said he didn't deserve to be laying out there. So we, we take him. And we did. Uh, and we made it as um, respectful and as personal as possible for him. Like, and... Um, that goes through us we're the human as well and you know sometimes we're thinking God, if something like that you know happened like what way would we feel like that yeah it must hurt you, Katrina, because as you say, you are human. I know you have to be tough yeah. and you're, you're running uh, penny dinners and it's a busy spot, but you must you know, go home at night time and just think of these people who uh, you've, you've you know, claimed, which is a, not a very nice word to use, but that, that, that's what they do use in that situation from the morgue. You've buried this person uh, yeah. and you know, it's another person you would have known who, who, who ended up on the streets. You've helped them. They now are being laid to rest. You can't find a family for them. It has to hurt you, yourself personally, and everybody working there. It does, and and it, it, it affects them because, you know, they all kind of have this thing that you, you, when you see somebody, when you see them hurting, or when you see that look in their eyes, you just become involved, you know, with them, and you want to try and help them as mm. best you can. And the best way is to be practical and to find out what we can do to actually help them. But sometimes, like some of the volunteers, you know, that or such a person is coming now. Like we had another boy that just died last week. He was only thirty-one, and he died. And you know, and um, 
everybody's reeling because they saw him every day. And when you see somebody every day coming, you know, for a cup of tea, for a dinner, you know, for a few sandwiches, for some soup, for stuff like that, I'll test it for a pair of socks or some underwear and stuff. You do, there is an involvement. You do get involved. And then you come to know the person down through the, you know, the years and for as long as they use in our service. So it does affect all of us and it affects all the volunteers here. How we deal with it, it is. And what I always tell them is, you do well, we're practical, you know, and I tell them all of that. And sometimes I go out and I understand. Practical doesn't kind of bend the pain in your heart either. Then like, but you, you, you have to, there are no words, I suppose, to describe um, the feeling that we have. But I suppose all of us here will, will say one thing. When we do what we do and when we go not above and beyond, but when we do it right and do the right thing by that person, then we feel like, OK, we've done it. And, uh, I mean, I spent a bit of time in Penny Dinners in Christmas 2019. There was a number of fundraisers. We were selling sport books uh, that Christmas to raise funds for you guys. And I spent a day in there and people were in and out and they were coming for help. And they were openly chatting to us about the reason they came in. And a lot of people might get the attitude that it's just people who were, you know, finding things tough or are sleeping on on the streets. Whereby there was people who, and this is something that it's, it's sad to think more hasn't been done about the cost of living in this countries that continues to increase but people who are working have jobs and yeah. they simply could not afford to buy food towards the end of the week they had their shopping done they might have two or three uh, children at home and by the time Thursday comes they can't put food on the table and they were coming into you and they were quite open saying that you know I am working my wage isn't fantastic but I do work I do contribute to the state but only for the gang here in Penny Dinners, we would starve for four days and we would have to live in a very low frequency turnaround of food. So it's not just those living, you know, on the streets. It's disappointing to think that those who are working have to go to services like you to put food on the table. I always said that because you would imagine when you're working that you can save up for your home. You can have your holiday every year. You know, you could do your birthdays, your anniversaries. You can do all those things that would be normal and probably go to a swimming pool or go someplace like that. But people genuinely can't afford to do any of those things and haven't been able to do it for a long time. And the numbers now are growing because there are so many out now over COVID-19 and they're, they're coming down and they don't know what to expect from us. And when they come, like they don't even know how to ask us or what to ask us for because it kind of slips by and they can't get the words out. And then we have to start, like, you know, with them, just say, you know, how are things for you? What would help? And... We guide them through it, but we're, we're good at that as well to make it easy for them so that they're not just standing there. Like when, when you'd have a grown man standing in front of you asking for something to take home to his family, and then you can see the tears in his eyes and he's trying to hold it together that he's found himself in this position. And we can say, it's not your fault. You're doing more than what, you know, you're doing the best you can. And they tell us their stories, and a lot of it is, again, not, they're not earning enough money for their, their bills their mortgages, their rent and stuff and then be able to put the food on the table and to be able to do things for their, their families. So they're all genuine cases but they're all like the government should be looking at is why are people that are working having to come to us and to go to other services? They have to look at it. It's yeah. wrong. Especially now because people have lost jobs, they have got wage cuts, you know, the rent isn't going down, uh, mortgages still have to be paid, but people are are finding it tough. Yeah, 
And, yeah. you know, like a lot of people, they would say, what about the people on social welfare? I said, well, they've been learning to survive for years and years. That's the one thing about people on social welfare. They're survivors and they have to survive. And for some, they find it very, very difficult. And again, then mental health slips into all of this. When you're finding it difficult to pay bills, to put food on the table and to look after yourself or look after your family or children, when you're finding that very difficult, you can see where mental health is going to get the better of you because it's a worry. And worry then leads to lots of other things in that person's life. And it, it grows, a fester. And then when they find they can't kind of get out of this, that they're going to be in this for a very long time, indefinitely, whatever, it, it grows again. So we keep, we're, we're pushing very, very hard now for, you know, with the bears, the idea of the bears is with the, the you know, that people, mm-hmm. if they're in a dark place at night, they'll see the bear, they'll see the solar light. We're putting up no signs now with numbers on from the Samaritans and, and, and um, the the sea change and you know the helplines the twenty four hour helplines so we're putting those numbers up for them to, to contact but we're hoping that um that when they see them that that distraction for twenty seconds will make them change their mind and realise like that it's their loved ones they're leaving who love them to be you know. Yeah, and it will help and, and provide hope for people. Oh, uh, Katrina, yeah. that's what you were doing. You were providing hope and, and thank you for the service you provide and no doubt we'll speak to you shortly again. But for the moment, thanks for joining us uh, this morning and just highlighting what is happening there on the ground, uh, not only in our city, but indeed across the county as well. Katrina Tumia, Penny Dinners, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, that is uh, Katrina Toomey as I mentioned there a text in from John who says thank God for Katrina and the likes of her she should be given the freedom of Cork her compassion is a shining light to all those God bless her our own continue to die on our streets says John on text or WhatsApp 0862103103 C103Jobs and on our job spot today, we have a vacancy for a full or part-time person required for general maintenance, gardening and indeed for driving duties in the Castletown Bear area. Contact 087-328-9638. A senior hairstylist is required for the district salon in Tivoli. Email your CVs to modonovan at district.ie. And the Windmill House Care Centre in Churchtown require full and part-time registered nurses. Contact Jackie on 022 022- 59067 or email hr at windmillgroup.ie Court today on C103 Call Patricia with your comment 1850-333-103 And Daffodil Day takes place today and this year's Daffodil Day is the Irish Cancer Society's most important yet because due to Covid uh, the society they can't hold their traditional on-street collections and indeed fundraising events and this is for the second year Rosemary Simmons is the fundraising lead with the Irish Cancer Society and she joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Rosemary. Hi, John Paul. How are you today? I'm fine and thanks for joining us. Um, We've all known that charities have struggled over the last year with everything that is going on. Uh, This has had a significant impact on the ability to raise needed funds for you guys as well and earnings have been down so you need to keep those services going like the counselling service that people avail of and indeed the nurse service as well, the night nurse service, but they'll only continue uh, with donations unfortunately. That's the only way you have funding. 
John Paul, you're right. It's been a really challenging year for all my colleagues in the in the charity sector with uh, so many flag days and uh, marathons and various fundraising events that you know cancelled all year round. Um, for the second year running, our Daffodil Day, which is known and loved across the country, it always happens at the end of March. Uh, we've had to take it virtual. Last year, we had to cancel at a very short notice with the onset of the pandemic, and uh, we literally had to stop it a couple of weeks before it was planned to go. And here we are, a year on, and we're not able to take to the streets again this year. But uh, we're appealing to the general public to still get behind us, turn the country yellow, uh, do whatever you can to raise funds on the day, and to uh, perhaps visit cancer.ie to make a donation. Um, as you rightly said, we really rely on the generosity of the Irish public and our volunteers and fundraisers throughout the year so we can continue to provide our, our vital services that you mentioned and more. Um, but Daffodil Day is a particularly big day for us. Last year we actually lost uh, 2 million of our normal fundraising income uh, for Daffodil Day. So we're really hoping that uh, we're well placed this year. We've, we've lots of things happening. People, I know our committee down in Mallow, uh, they have a virtual quiz running tomorrow night. They have a, a virtual collection running online. Um, but people can visit cancer.ie to find a little bit more about how they can get involved also. And is there any state aid to your services, such as the ones we've mentioned there, like the counselling service and the night nurse service? We received just 3% funding from the government, John Paul. So that highlights how big today is for us and how big our fundraising efforts are throughout the year. Uh, 3% is a very small uh, contribution um, and we have a lot to do uh, with the money. You know, you mentioned um, some of our services. We have our support line that's obviously been even in more demand this year with it being a particularly difficult year for cancer patients. Um, We also introduced remote counselling, again, cognizant of the fact that it is, you know, a challenging time for all of us, but cancer patients who are facing perhaps a new diagnosis or uh, isolation um, in terms of, you know, in hospitals or at home uh, undergoing their treatments, um, we felt the need to bring in remote counselling this year. Um, I also just wanted to point out, you know, our our night nursing, uh, it's a very special and privileged service that we provide, which is end-of-life care for cancer patients who choose to die at home surrounded by their loved ones. And as you can imagine, John Paul, there was quite a big demand, an increase in demand for that this year, given the challenges that face people in the hospital environment. Of course, and you mentioned the how you avail and how people can avail of the counselling service. We had a lot of people who did over the last year because they were worried as their cancer appointments were either diverted or postponed due to everything going on. And it did cause a lot of anxiety and that only for your counselling service and others, you know, that they found they would have been in a, in a bad place or as many said they would have gone to a dark place as they were worried. So they do offer relief to people. And because of that, a lot of people asking today, how can they make a donation if you're not physically on the streets? How, how can you donate? So there's a few simple ways, John Paul. You can visit a Boots store anywhere throughout the country. Boots are our partnerships and partners in Daffodil Day for the fourth year running. You can buy a little Daffodil Day uh, pin there or you can donate at the till. You can visit cancer.ie and you can shop uh, for some of our merchandise online or donate. And uh, also you can phone my colleagues on one 60 who are also happy to take donations today if people don't want to go online. And then we're also on the Revolut app as well, John Paul, now so you can, you can donate to us today on Revolut also. 
and I'm watching or looking at the online shop there you've uh, a few nice there's a teddy there it might, might make for a nice Easter present for someone anyhow on, on cancer.ie as well so there's a lot of options there online and I know we mentioned that you're not out selling but I have a few texts here maybe it's people from different organisations doing this but there's a few texts saying that there, there are a few people out and about selling daffodils so uh, are yourselves within the society are, are you not out and about today or is it just can, are people just doing their own thing maybe in different parts of the country I think people are doing their own thing you know obviously where there are shops who are essential services open they have very kindly taken boxes of pins nothing like we'd normally have out there needless to say with so much of retail closed again with businesses some businesses who are still open because they're essential service are you know doing small things with staff or selling pins there uh, people are trying to do the very best they can and be creative and do online bakes and online flower arranging and online gym classes and just to try and donate in different ways but obviously we'd encourage everybody to stick to the public health guidelines today and to stay safe also Okay, so but, but if people are seeing people out, they probably are genuine selling uh, daffodils for the Cancer Society. And it could be shop workers or people in local societies doing that, I presume, with, with the money going back to the cancer services. Indeed, this is the Mallow community have been very good and very supportive to us again this year. So I know they have lots of things happening, including their virtual quiz tomorrow night. And, um, you know, we people knitting daffodils, we people baiting daffodil uh uh, cupcakes and selling to family and friends all at social distancing so look we, we're in awe of the creativity that goes in uh, with our volunteers every year but this year in particular and uh, painting the town yellow and the school children are getting involved and we've college and universities getting involved uh, as well in a virtual manner today. Great stuff well enjoy today daffodils always give people a boost because of spring so it's, it's good and we need a boost this time of the year so enjoy the yellow colouring and the uh, daffodil day Rosemary and uh, just in case anybody needs that support line we mentioned the Irish Cancer Society support line if you need to speak to someone or a cancer nurse you, that number is 1-800-200-700 and we'll have details as well uh, online later but for the moment Rosemary thanks for joining us this morning on the programme my pleasure. Thanks, John. Thank Paul. you. Rosemary Simmons there, who's the fundraising lead with the Irish Cancer Society. And as you say, you can go on to cancer.ie. You can donate there and there's plenty of other ways you can donate. And as you mentioned there, some local organisations, uh, if it's safe to do so, are selling daffodils or pins outside or inside the shops when it is safe to do so. 1850-333-103. Our lines are open. You can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Good afternoon to you, John Paul McNamara, with you on until one in for Patricia this afternoon and Bernie taking your comments 1850-333-103 you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103 and a number of calls and comments in on various issues we have been discussing this morning and across the show and first of all and one of those is the banks and this was our discussion earlier with the Solidarity today for Cork North Central McBarry who was on the Oireachtas Finance Committee or in that meeting anyhow this week whereby they were asked Asking the Bank of Ireland's CEO, Francesca McDonough, on if the bank went ahead and did buy Davies, which they are looking at doing it, even though it's all up in the air and they haven't confirmed anything at this stage, they are looking at buying uh, Davies. If that did go ahead, the execs in Davies at the moment, they are exempt from the bankers' pay cap. But if Bank of Ireland then buys Davies, 
Could you have a situation that the execs in Bank of Ireland could move over to Davy? And similar for AIB when it comes to good body. Good body uh, stockbrokers, of course, are also being eyed up by AIB. If that did go ahead, could you have AIB execs then moving over to good body? It's all the one company, uh, but they would be working technically as an exec on a different brand which would then make them exempt for the banker's pay cap and it's something that needs to be changed if those banks do buy those stockbrokers otherwise they can get around uh, the banker's pay cap which was of course brought in following the crash and the mess that happened in 2008 and 2009 in this country well on that John and Caroline is making the point that this country and the majority of people in it are corrupt he says no matter where you turn there is always someone to rob you. It's called in business these days. The more money you can hoover up for your own pocket the better. The more educated you are, the easier it is for you to rob the less educated person. It's business says uh, John in Carrigline on text to 0862103103 and on the banks and one of the statements on this pay cap was bankers saying they can't get talent into this country and they need more banking talent to run our banks and many are going elsewhere in Europe because of our pay cap. Well, many feel we don't have enough banks in this country. Uh, a jury here in Mitchellstown says there's not enough banks. We should have more banks. Look at any other country across the world and they have a number of offerings of banks. Way more competition. Whereas here, we only now have really only three or four main banks and now Ulster Bank will be leaving us. So we're going to be left with less competition and less ways to shop around for our banks. Yes, new market players are coming in like Revolution, but still you will need a main bank current account. Revolution, these these online banking services are fantastic, but still someone along the line will still need a bank with one of the main banks, such as AIB, Bank of Ireland, PTSB, says Jerry in Mitchellstown. And Heidi, something similar, agrees and says, yes, Heidi thinks we should have a publicly owned bank because she says, look now what we have left, only a few. The Tesco Bank went from Ireland. We should try and get different banks into this country. We, as a people, have no choice really as to which bank to use that will really look after its customers' interests first over their own, says Heidi on WhatsApp to 0862. 103, 103. And Michael was listening to our discussion regarding the banks and what he sees is more and more branches just closing. He says the football footfall is down and is it any wonder, says Michael, but he's making an example here of where Michael is in Bandon. He says you have to look at Bandon whereby the bank yards are closed. I assume they'll say due to COVID, but it makes it so difficult, particularly if you are elderly to access the branches, even just to get cash out of the machines. I had to go to a machine the other day and I could not get parking anywhere on the street. Crazy stuff. The charges have gotten higher as well uh, for less services with our banks and now staff are being made redundant. I remember a few years ago JP being in a branch when they were constantly pushing people to use the machine. A lady in the queue in front of me was told you can do that on the machine. I still think her answer was brilliant. She said to the teller well if I can do that on the machine what are you doing here so? And then the staff member in question just ran back into her office. I can tell you at that point we all wanted to applaud that lady. How right she was. Jobs will go more and more, says Michael on text to 0862 103 103. And while we were speaking with Katrina Toomey, 
and on the sad phone calls she's receiving over the last number of days and she was telling us about that man uh, that they received a call from the morgue the man was homeless they could not locate his family so they ended up burying that man and she, you know looking after the cost of that and she said it's something they do get those type of calls not every day but they, they have got those calls before and they've also got people who are coming to them who are struggling to pay for funerals and looking for financial aid outside of them people looking for food to feed their families and a lot of people that are coming are not those who are on the streets they are people who are working but because their wages are so low uh, and the cost of living especially in Cork is going up and up and up and Ireland as a whole is going up people simply might be able to put food on their table for three or four days of the week but when it comes to a Thursday or Friday they struggle and that's where they approach Katrina and as she said there's grown men and women coming in who are working every day paying their taxes to this country and their eyes are welling up they're trying to keep it together because they're asking for help and as Katrina says you know she they know the genuine people and they do help them but it's to see them coming in uh, feeling ashamed because of what they're going through and all because it's not their fault it's just the cost of living increasing and the wages are not uh, for many and they have to get food from penny dinners to survive and feed their children but on the issue of the homeless man uh, there's no name on this text but the person here is making the point I'm sorry now this person says but that man uh, and that poor man was homeless but why take the money for this off penny dinners why do the funeral directors just say that they will pay or not charge for his burial or indeed cremation? They are making money, so surely they should play a part in this, is that person on WhatsApp, on their view. And with so much poverty being spoken about over the last week or so, uh, Martin has sent in this WhatsApp and he says, uh, Hi John Paul, I would say I am a lapsed Catholic, but my own beliefs in society haven't changed. I believe the world is overpopulated and that the fact there's a lot of poverty out there, I believe, could be prevented if contraception was made more widely and freely. Uh, if this was happening in rich countries as well as poorer countries that are poverty stricken or indeed developing. Religions are anti-contraception and therefore a lot of children are born into poverty. It's something that does need to be looked at, says Martin in West Cork on WhatsApp to 0862103103. And earlier on at the start of the show, we had a texter who was asking what people thought about the Easter break starting today. They disagree with it because they feel their child's it will hamper their child's education even though they were physically not in the schools for January and February. Uh, the students were still learning at home. Teachers were still working at home and education moved online. Uh, that texter did worry though for their child and felt that the Easter break should not happen and things should continue on this year because of what has happened with the school year and the fact that there was homeschooling and many felt that this did not simply work uh, for their child. Well another texter here agrees with that person earlier and says I totally agree uh, as what was mentioned about the two weeks off for Easter I feel this is a total disgrace how do the Board of Education expect children with problems with learning they need school environment for this to get the extra support we are only parents and we can only do so much 
I am very cross and very angry and very worried for my child as my child now is going into second class in September. How in the name of God is my child supposed to go from first class into second class with the support of teaching he has received over the last year? Uh, There's been a lack of in-schooling going on. Homeschooling is no circumstances uh, and it's not the same as a teacher teaching within a school. I am very worried about my child going into second uh, class next year and indeed my child's education are others also feeling this. I agree with your earlier person on WhatsApp. Uh, so I don't know if, if how people feel about that. I mean, the many would say the two weeks could be a break for children because they have been uh, schooling at home for two months and they've been in school physically for the last month. Teachers will say the children, the students, they need a break from all of this and teachers themselves will be entitled to that two weeks off as well, even though they physically weren't in the school. They'll say they were still working from home for those two months. So uh, your views are welcome on that. Uh, If the Easter holiday should have been either shortened or scrapped this year uh, due to what has happened uh, over the restrictions and schools being closed, even though education did move online. Uh, Your reaction to those two people there on WhatsApp regarding their thoughts. And while we speak about COVID and numbers are released every day and uh, unfortunately we, we still hear of people dying from COVID and the trauma that causes to those families who have lost somebody dear to them from COVID. There's a texter here uh, making a, a point about road deaths and this person is saying that road deaths are still up from 2019 to 2020. Now pubs are closed most of this year but always when we hear about road deaths people mention drink driving and pubs are always blamed for causing road deaths because of drink driving. Now this dash this person feels could be proved wrong uh, to the government because it, who will take the blame now while road debts are set up on last year they can't blame the bars as the bars were closed so who now will they blame uh, asked this person on WhatsApp well only yesterday in our guard file we heard how drug driving has increased so while we always mention drink driving drug driving has been mentioned over the last four or five years maybe that is playing a factor I don't know why are road debts still increasing when this person feels they were blaming the pubs I don't know why they always blame the pubs to be, to be fair were they Uh, Blaming people on their phones, driver behaviour, were they blaming the drug driving as well, which has unfortunately grown in the last number of years. I mean, one of the things if you're on Cork roads, anyhow, I think, is the condition of our roads. I mean, people are avoiding potholes. You're going around a corner and you have to go out to the other side of the road because the ditch is overgrown and there's a briar sticking out. You have no choice, especially on small, narrow, rural roads. And then you have main roads which just aren't suitable for the level of traffic they take. People get frustrated then driving if they're in a rush and they can take chances on roads where they should not be taking those chances. And I think that is a lot of the cause of deaths rather than looking at other or trying to blame someone. I think the road conditions, and I mean, when you look at other counties in Ireland, uh, I don't know if there's a breakdown and there probably is somewhere if I had time to look for them. Uh, I won't know in the next uh, few minutes, but it would be interesting to see the look uh, looking at counties whereby there is good road networks. I always feel uh, if and anybody in North Cork would be familiar with Limerick, it's so close. When you hit Limerick and you drive around, I have friends of mine, obviously because of everything going on, I haven't visited them in well over a year and a half, nearly two years at this stage, but... It, 
if you go to Limerick, you're on a ring road system around the city and you can go off to the various suburbs, be that Castle Troy and Akati, off the Bird Hill, any of those places you can go off on a motorway and it's a fantastic system and it's, you know, it's, it's a motorway, it's perfect road conditions. Whereas here in Cork, if you want to go travelling, we're basically on, you know, minor roads, main roads that aren't great. Look, at, I mentioned the North Ring earlier in the city, not a fantastic road network for the amount of traffic it takes. The South Ring and the M8 be the best road network I suppose you could say we have in Cork if you're travelling then from Ballonhasic or the halfway towards West Cork look at the N71 been on the news a lot lately for all the wrong reasons you're going from Ballon to Clonacilty to Skibbereen Uh, not a road network for the amount of traffic that takes and people do take chances then when they get frustrated on the road so I don't know is is that a a bigger cause of why there's road deaths rather than us looking at uh, at drink driving drug driving they do play a part but is the fact that our road network isn't suitable and we should be looking at that also because I don't think for the traffic we have here in Cork our road network is far from suitable and if Limerick have a I won't say a fantastic road network because I'm sure there's a lot of roads uh, in West Limerick uh, that wouldn't be the same as those around Limerick City. Uh, but certainly the ones in and around Limerick City are fantastic compared to the ones here around Cork City and then going further afield across our county. Look at our roads now. Saying that, people will say we have the biggest county in Ireland and the biggest road network, so you can't compare us to other counties. But still, uh, when you open up the debate, are there more reasons than just looking at drink, drugs and other issues when it comes to driving. Do we have to look at our roads? Anyhow, that's for uh, something for thought. Thank you for your uh, text on 0862103103. And a person here is asking about the agreement secured for the group, uh, for the hotel quarantine. And this group is the TIFCO Hotel Group and they'll be responsible for transporting people to the hotel. And it's up to the person who comes to this country. Then they must pay uh, for the 12 nights stay. So they're paying that to the hotel uh, the the station isn't paying that but uh, and I must look into this but there, you are right in what you were saying about a government risk payment of an additional 2,000 euros the government could be paying uh, for each individual uh, surely this text is saying all the expenses incurred relating to quarantine should be covered by the passengers and not the taxpayers well they are I mean the passengers that come in are paying uh, for their f- uh, stay so if you are flying from one of those countries listed such as Austria for example you will have to pay that 12 night cost which for one person is averaging out of 1,875 euros so they must pay for that I know there was um, a high risk uh, set up cost of 2,000 euros that was being considered by the government and that that would have to be paid but when you come to quarantine within the hotel and those coming into the country they do pay themselves well there's people asking who pays it is it's the person coming into the country must pay for the hotel themselves so I, I can you know the people are still questioning about all of that and we look into that in more detail uh, later when we're off air but uh, for those who are staying over and a lot of texts coming in who's paying for that if you're staying over if you choose to come to this country and you have to quarantine from the likes of Austria or the UAE you then yourself will be paying the hotel 1850 Lines open, Bernie taking your calls or you can text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103 on the school issue that 
the earlier texter was uh, speaking about and what's up to us at the start of the show as well. A person here says, I think schools should only be on holidays from Holy Thursday to Tuesday after Easter Monday. The children have suffered enough and need proper schooling. Not all parents can homeschool and kids will fall behind. And also they need physical contact with friends for mental stimulation. Some will never get back to the speed they were once. So uh, another person agreeing with her earlier callers and texters that the schools wire by they will close for Easter. It should be shortened that they should close on Holy Thursday and reopen on Tuesday after Easter Monday. Your views are welcome on that. 1850 333 103 or indeed text or WhatsApp 086 103 103. And how do you feel about Zoom calls? I have a piece shortly. A few callers and texters have been on to us as well this morning asking about Zoom calls what people make of them Uh, Tim says I was on a Zoom call yesterday and I was on it for four hours I'm used to attending meetings I've done very little Zoom calls I will admit over the last year but this Zoom call made me so tired I was wrecked after it maybe it's because I was looking at the screen so long how do others feel about Zoom calls says Tim 1850 333 or you can text at WhatsApp 0862-103-103 The C103 Cork Diary with Cork County Council's Community Support Programme. If you or anyone you know needs help in accessing non-emergency and non-medical supports or advice, see corkcoco.ie. And Limerick University students, they will hold the Jacinta O'Brien Memorial 999 for the Frontline event and that's taking place up until today. They're raising funds for Limerick Suicide Watch, the Martyr Foundation and the Irish Cancer Society. If you want to take part, you can just run, you can walk or indeed cycle 9k, donate 9 euros or nominate 9 friends to do the same. Just check out 999 for the Frontline right now on social media to find out more details. Clonakilty Credit Union, they will be accepted donations for the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day campaign today and tomorrow and staying on the Daffodil Day campaign you mentioned earlier well we mentioned earlier when we were discussing this with the Irish Cancer Society what was happening in Mallow and the Mallow branch they are supporting the fundraising by participating in their online quiz they want you to take part as well you can find details on their GoFundMe page it's going to be hosted tomorrow night Saturday by Dr Kevin Conlon from the Mallow branch and also you can donate on that GoFundMe page you can also find further details on Dr Conlon's Facebook page or you can then join Mallow Athletic Club and they're encouraging people to walk, run and jog from today until Wednesday next and you can donate to them through their GoFundMe page and remember all money raised locally will stay locally Work today on C103 Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment 086 103 and today is Daffodil Day in partnership with Boots and while you can't buy an Irish Cancer Society daffodil when out and about you can still support the amazing work they do by donating or visiting the Daffodil Day shop at cancer.ie and we spoke earlier to the Irish Cancer Society well if you're going to watch TV later tonight and maybe the Late Late Show Yes, Jedward, John and Edward Grimes, they're going to appear on the Late Late Show tonight because they're going shaving their heads in studio for the Irish Cancer Society. Uh, as you all know, they have those great quips that they're very famous for. They're going to get those shaved tonight. Uh, they are supporting uh, the cause because they're hopefully, they said they'll raise enough funds tonight to honour those who have been lost through uh, cancer. A lot of people uh, go through this, they said, and it requires a lot of strength 
and indeed it does also take on a lot of suffering to those who were around them. I suppose the two brothers only know too well about the disease because they lost their mother in February 2019 after she had been diagnosed with leukaemia and suffered kidney failure. So well done to Jed Wirt, those great quips we all know of them. Uh, they're going to get a shaved off tonight on the Late Late Show. So best of luck to them tonight on that uh, and for taking time out to do that and, and remembering their mum and honouring her in that way. Now, still a lot of calls and comments coming in. First of all, in relation to our chat with Katrina Toomey from Penny Dinners earlier, and Mary in Lumberstown was listening to that, and she said, after hearing uh, Katrina speak about the work they do within Penny Dinners, I'm going to send them a donation today, and I'm asking others to do the same. We are all very privileged to have roof over our heads, says Mary. And on that, another texter, texter here asking, where can we donate? donate to Penny Dinners. Well, if you want to donate, their address is Cork Penny Dinners and they're based in 4 Little Hanover Street in Cork and you can send it there and Katrina and the gang will pick it up by post if you wish to do that. And also on the phone staying with Penny Dinners, John and Butterman says it's a very sad situation that Penny Dinners had to pay for that funeral. And then we have the bankers getting paid so much and then we have the civil servants who are covering up uh, situations like what you've discussed earlier on your show there is no human dignity or respect for people these days says John in Buttevant and while mentioning the schools there and people's views on the Easter holidays Joan in Fermoy says people are always jealous of teachers holidays but the teachers have been online non-stop during lockdown they are looking forward to this break teaching can be an exhausting job says Joan in Fermoy and some people are asking will the schools return yes there's no question of that schools are going to reopen after Easter and one person here is saying she's heard of an outbreak elsewhere not in Cork but elsewhere and she's wondering if that will have a knock-on effect on opening schools after Easter as numbers seem to be rising again and they have said that schools are or were supposed to be the safest place for uh, children, the less likely place to pass on or pick up the virus and they are still saying that last night uh, at that press briefing, Neffa did say uh, there's no major evidence, evidence to suggest that you know, if you're in a school situation uh, that the virus is growing in school, the cases among children at the moment that they have looked at, very little of those cases came from a school setting and that was emphasised last night at the media briefing by Neffish. But thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. And Tim, earlier, a lot of people agreeing with Tim, he's asking, do people get tired when they're on Zoom meetings? Uh, Tim was saying he spent four hours, I think it was on one yesterday, and he was wrecked after it. And others, Tim, are agreeing with you. Margaret says, oh, I hate those Zoom meetings. I can't wait until we get back into uh, meeting people again. Uh, I think it's because we're looking at screen and I find screens make me tired says Margaret while Con is saying I agree with Tim I just feel while they are handy and there's a lot of less travelling for some reason if I sit in a meeting in my workplace for an hour I am way uh, further wrecked from a Zoom meeting and again a lot of people putting it down uh, to screen time and to people looking physically at the screen and that is tiring them 
and then the delay in communicating with people, you know, there can be a two second delay in communicating and that can cause problems when someone is trying to make a point. So in the end, anyhow, it seems that while people have mixed views on Zooms, a lot of people are opting out of Zooms on Fridays. One of those is Citigroup. They have announced a Zoom free Friday to help reduce pressure on staff. And a lot of people feel that this is a good idea. These told these people uh, told us yesterday what they thought about Zoom meetings and how this Zoom Free Friday is a good idea. I think a lot of people have experienced it now and um, they've come to a limit where they, they can't really like say, you know, I miss you. I can't wait to see you anymore. Personally, like I've taken a break from all the Zoom calls and things like that as well. I have a lot of grandchildren and the video calls are extremely stressful when you're trying to keep smallies quite. No, not for me. <laughs> So Zooming, are you sick of it? Have you enough of it? Some people have. And not only workplaces, by the way, a lot of community groups are on Zoom, a lot of local community councils using Zoom. But some people feel now uh, they're getting too much of it and they seem extra tired like Tim is after a Zoom call rather than they would be after a physical meeting. Anyhow, uh, thank you, Tim, on text or WhatsApp, WhatsApp 0862 103 103 or to Bernie 1850 333 103. What can we expect from the movies? Are thinking of settling down this weekend and looking at something online? Well, if you are, Mark is joining us next. He'll have a few ideas, anyhow, on what we can watch this weekend. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And on the school situation, Tim and Yol says, yes, schools are closed again. Students are now walking around the streets again. Teachers are off again. And could teachers not have stayed with it for the sake of some normality for these kids? These kids are sick of being homebound. Ah, well, no money out of their pockets. Not fair. Other sectors carry the tax burden. And that's Tim's in Yold view on the situation of schools. Well, you could you know, look at Joan who was on earlier who says teachers have been working and they have been working at home like a lot of people online and she says teachers are exhausted from the last number of months so there's two different sides of the argument there thank you Tim and indeed Joan as well uh, on that discussion and earlier there was a texter in asking about organ donation and that opt-in opt-out clause that was being looked at a few years ago we'll check that out and we'll come back to that on the show on Monday but let's head to the movies and Mark Malone joins us on this Friday afternoon after Afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, John Paul. Now, you went along first, and you didn't go along. You went on looking at streaming anyhow to look at this movie. <laughs> it looks like it's a, a comedy. I did watch the trailer, and it, it does seem really funny. And let's have a listen to that trailer first of all. Can I help you, sir? You can help me find Maria. Oh, Maria's gone. We're completely self-checkout now. Please scan your item. Please scan your item. I just did. Please scan your item. Yeah, right. Sir! This can't keep happening. You're not putting me in a home. What if it were our home? Grandpa! Jenny! Hi, Grandpa. Hello, sweetheart. How's your daughter's place at? She gave me my grandson's room. He's not too happy about it. How do you like your room? Kid looking. I didn't want it to be this way either. I just want my room back. Get away from me! Oh, come on. I want to put up with this, Pete. I demand my room back or else it's war. Declaration of war. Give me back what is mine or face the consequences. Okay. Okay. You got your wish. What the? That's going foam sealant. I'm gonna get this too. So let me get this straight. You want me to help you and your buddies to help beat up your grandson and his buddies because the two of you can't figure out some way to live in the same house? Well, when you put it like that. I'm in. 
The War with Grandpa, Mark. It, it does look like it's a, a thrills of a lot of things going on in that comedy as well. But tell us exactly what this is about. A lot of big names on this as well, by the way. Uh, yeah, I mean, the first thing that's of interest uh, in this film is that, in fact, it was um, it was made in 2017. And it took, like I think, three years to finally get a release date. And I don't know why, whether or not uh, they just couldn't find a date where it wouldn't compete with something that was a better film, or was it that the um, film company didn't really have the, the, the kind of uh, backing for the film and maybe they thought that uh, it wasn't very good because it hasn't really received very good reviews in its time, which is a bit of a shame, I think, because I think it's, I think it's okay. I think it's better than uh, you might think. And uh, so it was finally released in 2020 to cinemas for a couple of months. Um, But then, of course, uh, the pandemic hit and therefore it shut it down. And it's only now coming to streaming and it's available on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, This is uh, Robert De Niro, once again, playing a grandpa. He did two a couple of years ago uh, with Bad Bad Grandpa, which is just simply one of the worst films ever made. Uh, But this is slightly a little bit better. And he does play the kind of grandpa in this that uh, the kind of grandpa that every Everybody wants really 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 nice man when we meet him he's in his 70s but he's beginning to find he's a widower and uh, he's beginning to find that kind of modern life is uh, getting kind of a little bit too complicated for him he doesn't understand social media he doesn't understand technology he's beginning to kind of bump into things with his car and so his daughter who played here by Uma Thurman decides look you can't live on your own anymore as he you might have heard in the trailer he says I'm not going to a home she says no you come home with us the problem is is that when she does invite him uh, to their home they decide to give him his grandson's room as his grandson at one stage says during the film it's the nicest room in the house unfortunately they stick him upstairs with all the mice and the rats and the bats up in the attic so as you can imagine he doesn't particularly like that very much indeed and so therefore he goes to war with his grandpa to try and to see who wins the war and whoever does will get the room back And so what happens and what follows for most of the film, in fact, are these kind of pranks that the two of them uh, kind of um, um, play on each other. I should point out, by the way, that uh, the voice of the woman you heard there on the trailer, uh, at the the very end of the trailer there, um, she that's uh, played by Jane Seymour, by the way, um, when she said we're going to beat up you know your kids we should point out that actually they were playing dodgeball and uh, in a very very funny scene uh, because the the funniest scenes of the film for me were when Robert De Niro actually teams up with his old pals you've got Christopher Walken and Cheech Marin who of course have been around for a long time making a lot of comedies and when they're on screen together I think the film really really works the film has one huge flaw though and the problem is that the little boy is just too nice and so is his grandpa actually and that's part of the problem i think and one of the reasons it doesn't work is that we're we're, we're constantly reminded by the makers of this film that the the boy and his grandpa actually love each other and the little boy constantly tells um his grandpa that he loves him but then unfortunately what happens next is that you then have these kind of pranks that he play on his, his grandfather which actually if in real life could have caused him a lot of kind of physical damage and i think what would have worked better for the film itself is that if uh, the two of them had a kind of a, a distinct lack of 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 liking for each other. If they really didn't like each other, I think the film would have been much, much better and would have worked better. But obviously what the makers of this film decided that they don't want to go down that road. They don't want to portray these people uh, in an unlikable way. And I think that has to be commended, I think. And because of that, you have a film... Uh, which everybody can watch, which parents and kids can watch. And there aren't many of them uh, these days. 
Uh, there are occasions when the comedy doesn't work, but I laughed out loud on a number of occasions. As I said, the uh, the, the the some of the reviews to it have been very very poor. Uh, there are people out there who don't like it, and uh, which is I think is a shame because I don't think it's as bad. The the other thing is there's a couple of really interesting things. First of all, it was released uh, um, as I say back in 2017. It took three years to get us. Um, at the end of the film, there's a kind of a dance sequence, and I don't know why uh, they do that. A lot of uh, movies do that where they decide, look, let's get a dance sequence in at the end, and we'll show that. Everybody had a really, really great time. We'll bring the cast and the crew and get them involved. And you can see that a number of them are deeply, deeply uncomfortable with having to dance on screen. Uh, the other thing, that there is a kind of a bloopers section at the end as well. And it's amazing to me, too, just how often they use green screen for, for scenes that you would think they wouldn't need to, just to have a house in the background. They would green screen it and then mat in the house afterwards. So that's a couple of interesting things to keep an eye out. But certainly, this is a film for all the family. And uh, I'd certainly recommend yeah, and I only saw it said the minute trailer earlier on before we came on air, but I thought it was really funny. You mentioned about laughing out loud. I mean, I did have one of the scenes that was in the trailer, so I think it would work for a family uh, to view The War with Grandpa. You mentioned it's streaming on Amazon Prime out of 10? Yep. I'd give it seven. That's good. Seven out of ten so for The War with Grandpa. And then the other uh, film that's streaming you're looking at is called The Winter Lake. What's this about? And there we are. We just lost Mark's connection there to him for the Winter Lake. Maybe we'll get back to that movie next week, but I can highly recommend The War with Grandpa if you like comedy. And it's something that is for the family as well. Uh, you can both watch it together, children and indeed uh, parents. So The War with Grandpa, 7 out of 10, and it's on Amazon Prime. We will highly recommend that. The Winter Lake, we'll get back to that next week. We just lost our link uh, to Mark's studio, but we will, I'm sure, look at that again next week. And by the way, if you are on the roads, we mentioned uh, traffic uh, heavy in various parts earlier. This is a traffic that is heavy in Mallow and it could be due to the traffic lights. But anyhow, there's a massive line of traffic, we're told, trying to get through the traffic lights on the bridge in Mallow at the moment. So if you're travelling that direction, beware, you'll be delayed. Uh, massive jam in Mallow at the moment on the bridge. Patricia is back on the show on Monday morning. I'll chat to you on Sunday morning from 10am with the Irish Sunday across North and East Cork and Cork City while John Green is on the Irish Sunday across West Cork. Enjoy your weekend. I'm John Paul McNamara. With- Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.